Assalamu alaikum everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Finding Islam podcast. My name is Abir. I'm lifestyle editor for Finding Islam. And joined with two guests today, joined with uh, Zan, one of our editors, and also Abdullah, contributor and uh, previous podcast attendee as well. So, Sanakum guys, uh, for, for coming today. Um, appreciate you guys being here. And the main conversation for today is something that I suppose is very relevant with Muslims at the minute and relevant in, in general, is essentially revolving around being capitalism and being a Muslim capitalist. You know, we're seeing, I think it's fair to say, a trend of many Muslims associating themselves uh, with certain kind of, I guess, uh, ideologies and kind of economic frames of mind, whether it be capitalism or socialism, uh, particularly the younger generation, Muslims and non-Muslims alike have a tendency to kind of gravitate a bit towards socialism as we've seen uh, in the UK and even in America. But you have Muslims also who kind of uh, associate themselves strongly with capitalism, the idea of the free market and so on. And that's that's essentially what we're going to talk about today. So we'll kick right off into it. And a lot of the talking points that we'll be discussing are actually based off an article uh, written by Zan uh, titled Five Things Wrong with Being a Muslim Capitalist. And Let's just, we'll kick right into it with the first point from the article. So capitalism encourages imperialism in the form of colonialism. Suzanne, I'll let you take it away from here. So if you could maybe give, an aside, give us an idea of even what that phrase means. Capitalism encourages imperialism in the form of colonialism. Sure. All right. Welcome, uh, Salam, to you both. And Jazakumallah Khairan for bringing us on, Abir. Um I suppose I'll, I'll preface this, um, my uh, the, the article I've written and, and some of the points we were talking about that, you know, I suppose it's e easier for people to assume that some economic ideologies are sort of like philosophically neutral, you know, because economics doesn't necessarily have anything to do with, you know, what I believe as a Muslim or how I feel about the world. Um, and I think that's how you might easily find people think themselves, oh, I, I can be a Muslim capitalist or Muslim socialist or whatever else, because you know economics is separate from Islam, um, and I think that's I, I, I think that's very much a mistake. I think that um, every economic ideology or uh, has has baggage, philosophical baggage, especially when it's an ideology like capitalism, which is coming out of Europe, and the fact that capitalism grew along with the Enlightenment and grew with philosophical liberalism and and these sort of things. So it's it's important to note that it's it's that there is harmful baggage for the well-being of a Muslim's faith that comes along with capitalism and other economic ideologies or even just non-economic ideologies. And and so on this this first point, which I think is important to mention as uh, an important thing for Muslims to understand about um about one of these pieces of baggage that comes with uh, it's a it's it's a it's a major component of the things that encourage imperialism and and that's because if for a capitalist your primary objective is to, to maximize profits and to intelligently and effectively invest capital. And to that end, you're going to reach a point where to continue to invest capital isn't possible in you know your country or where you are in, in, you know, in the domestic area. If you're like a cap capitalist or a financier, um, you're going to reach a point where you run out of useful or cheap or effective opportunities for putting that capital to work. And and that's where the the um, the necessity to export capital abroad comes in to 
to send capital a lot, uh, away to other places and to put it to work and and then again to, to protect your capital that obviously encourages the the uh, the extension of imperialism and the preservation of that capital you know by extending your power if, if that sort of makes sense mm-hmm. so um, it's, it's it's something that Lenin, Jean-Paul Sartre, um, uh, Kwame Nkrumah out of Ghana, a lot, a lot of people have talked about. Um, and it's something we very much saw in the 19th and 20th centuries. You know, um, Euro- Europeans sent their, their colonists abroad. They'd send them to countries across Africa and Asia, South America. And they they do so to... to uh, they'd send these, their colonists, and their colonists were capitalists. They'd go over there, set up businesses, and extract resources out of those colonists. It was their desire for new resources and new profits that sent them abroad. You know, not you know discounting other reasons for for imperialism, such as ideological reasons or whatever else. But um, but yeah, it's 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 something that that's been very noticeable in across um, the global south. It is the the capitalist um, reasoning for for imperialism and for the projection of power and for the acquisition of colonies and the theft of resources. You know, and it's it's something that. Um, um, that Jean Barsat he, he uses the example of Algeria very you know very usefully. He talked he, he talked about how um, in in Algeria you know that the colonists came and he set up businesses um, and extracted resources to, to send back to France you know. So he stole the resources of the local of the native Muslim to for for the benefit of uh, of the colony. So he he was like a traitor between the colony and the metropole France. So it's um. It's 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 uh, I suppose it's it's something it's that's quite important to understand, you know, that like I, I'm you're there thinking, oh, Muslims, Muslims like the free market, Muslims like, you know, free trade. You know, it's, it's true. There are aspects of capitalism that 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 uh, are acceptable in Islam, but that doesn't undermine the fact that that this uh, imperial baggage accompanies the economic ideology. I feel like I've been a bit repetitive there in some of the things I've said, but I'm just trying to make sure that that sort of makes sense to you both. Yeah, no, I think that's a good way to kind of give someone, especially someone who perhaps isn't as familiar um, with 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 what capitalism is and imperialism, what imperialism is, and how the two are interlinked, an idea of of how how they relate to each other and historically kind of how they relate to each other, because of course we we draw from a lot of the examples like you've given with Algeria and France. Um, and there's countless examples like uh, France and the U.S. with Haiti, for example, um, as well as many other African nations that are still suffering from uh, essentially the, the vacuum of their resources being taken away uh, for the betterment of these other nations. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, and it's uh, it's it's something that you know I think these days, especially when people think of capitalism, they think of it in that sense that oh, it's you know. There is no concern other than just the profits. At the end of the day, it's just the bottom line. Nothing else matters, um, which is where the discussion of kind of having more regulation and these things come in. But uh, I suppose the flip side is people don't see what's, I suppose the most common uh, used alternative example is like socialism. They don't see socialism as something that um, is a practical alternative, essentially. Uh, and many I think uh, Muslims as well, they take issue with socialism for arguably the same reasons that we should have issues with capitalism, that because of course, maximizing profits, ex- exploitation, these things are not compatible with, with our, with our deen. Um, 
you know, trade and these things certainly are. Um, mm-hmm. But fairness um, is always encouraged within 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 Islam. Um, That's right. Yeah, no. In, in Islam, we have like our maqasid and you know our virtues guiding the application of Sharia and 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 that includes the application of you know economic rulings and the purpose mm-hmm. of economics and and that's not, not something you're going to see if you um engage in ideology like capitalism or, or anything else you know you, there's there's our virtues are not guiding those opinions or sort so of on this stand. topic um if i was to ask you uh to define capitalism uh philosophically so without the mention of money um which way how would you go about it do you reckon say it's an economic ideology that encourages the uh, utilization of capital and and by capital we mean anything that's that's not um anything man-made used in production that's what capital is so capitalism is is focused around using uh is around employing capital as the primary means of, uh, of economic development or growth or whatever else, you know? Um, and then, um, yeah. as a uh, kind of more broader, um, how mm-hmm. would you describe that way of thinking kind of in, in a not necessarily economic context? Like the, the, the urge uh, to kind of grow and build uh, this almost kind of panterous kind of... It's, 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 like, how would you describe that? In a I describe that. I describe that as, as a material philosophy. You know, it's okay. a, it's a, it's 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 a philosophy of materialism that encourages, um, you know, attachment to to worldly things and the physical world. You know, it's not an ideology that has any space for uh, the spiritual or or uh, anything that isn't you know, you know, um, I don't know, output. Or you know, yeah. So yeah. um, yeah. so that's sort of how I describe it in non-economic terms: a, a material ideology, and and that's. By the way, the same reason why you might take issue with, with socialism or another ideology is because at the end of the day, they're focused around material analysis, and we don't take you know akhra and you know the worship of Allah out of our analyses as Muslims. So you know, that's you see, like um, I think uh, you're right that uh, Muslims uh, in this context take issue with socialism for that reason. Um, I think. Me personally, um, and I assume others, also take issue with the fact that socialism um, as a philosophy sees human beings as units, um, and it's not as kind of free agents, right? Um, It sees them as numbers and statistics, um, and it's about systems, right? The state is a system, humans are a system, um, workers are systems. um, You know, no matter how much you talk about giving rights to workers and this and that, at the end of the day, workers are an industry. Um, and the only difference is, you know, yeah, you know, um, the focus there is, is, is exactly. instead of capital. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so you have a system in which human beings don't have free will; they're denied free will. Um, it's kind of the typical utopia, right? A utopia is kind of like you know everyone does their own little job in their world, and they work towards the betterment of the state. It's not about the individual, right? Mm-hmm. And I guess this is the attraction that Muslims may have to capitalism. It's it's the absolute opposite, right? Yeah. It's that it's all about the individual. It's about the free will. Yeah. But then what happens is in in kind of achieving one's free will, you're denying others' free will, just like you've explained in your imperialism question. So um, as as in many things in dunya and deen, in life and in religion, um, 
the middle way is often the best, isn't it? Well, that's right, exactly. And 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 yeah, and that actually is a very important point we just mentioned. It's because capitalism and imperialism they they grew along with the, the modern uh, Western philosophy of, of liberalism, uh, which encourages individualism. You know, and it's like you're saying that in these in these economic ideologies, the, the person is just seen as as, as a unit and um, as as an atomized individual. And and similarly, similarly in in uh, I suppose liberalism is, which is the the corresponding um, ideology on a philosophical level to to capitalism is that you know it's all about the the person, um and his um the person and ownership and property it's yeah so I don't want to diverge too much but there's a, a whole connection there between these different enlightenment ideologies. Absolutely, yeah, it's a. Uh it's 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 something that kind of it traps you just just as like you know we see the dunya as something that traps kind of sucks us in capitalism seems to have the same effect like um there's no way essentially out of this system without dismantling the entire system because it's fully built on well it's built on capitalism essentially is built um as we're seeing now on these kind of mega corporations uh with higher net worths than many most countries uh, these days that's right and you see the effect it has on um you know many smaller countries many muslim countries many con- many of these countries that are still like algeria for example are on the back of their uh clo- their colonial past uh and just still somewhat fresh as independent nations and for these nations as well you know if you look at uh how how are they supposed to kind of build up their economy? How they're supposed to actually, um, I suppose, bring money in? It's by engaging in these same systems. Like we're seeing, we're seeing, for example, the rise of uh, China. Many Chinese companies that are actively taking, um, you know, I suppose, setting up in many African nations. Uh, Chinese partnership with Pakistan and kind of the involvement of uh, Chinese companies and in infrastructure there, for example, and you know. Yes, of course. With uh, just as with China, as we have issues with you know uh, France's uh, take on their, because of their colonial past, but also their current stance on Muslims, we have that issue, of course, with China and the Uyghur Muslims. But for the position of these nations, they're left in a position of, well, what are we supposed to do? Because to even c- catch up as such, because they're in such debt, they essentially have to engage in these same systems, and that's kind of, I suppose, the growing fear. Um, that we have with nations like even Afghanistan, which um, is progressing into a sort of a new age now with the the departure of the U.S. military. Um, how will they cope? I suppose with being on the world stage now, and how are they supposed to grow? Same with like the likes of Libyans and Syria, and you think yeah. of the devastation these countries have had. How how can they grow without getting sucked into this? You know, very uh, right. profit driven. Uh, by any you know profit by all means systems basically at even at the cost of their own exploitation um, you know so that was a bit of a rambly sentence but I hope I hope that you know, idea gets it, across it, it makes complete sense you know it's it's about the pervasiveness of, of global capitalism and how there isn't really any alternatives but to participate in that international financial capitalist system you know, you're a new country on the block. You're like, hey, I'm Afghanistan or Syria. I'm just here ready to reintegrate into the global system. It's like, great. Do the IMF and take out a loan, you know? <laughs> like, it's, it's, that's, those are the options, you know? And it's, 
it's it's yeah it, it is i suppose just an issue that i don't off the top of my head have any any answers to but let's let's put that on to on the to-do list <laughs> at risk of um going slightly off topic as i have a habit of doing um a question to you know perhaps both of you is apart from the fact that this domination that we talk about today is purely economical, economic. Um, in terms of relationships between powers, um, kind of, you know, the dominating powers and the dominated, is this system of, you know, capitalism, as we've called it, is it specifically attached to the Enlightenment onwards? Or... Um, is it just a continuation of the classical Dar uh, al like understanding of just empires and civilizations um, and countries using their power against each other? Other than the fact, that, of course, it's different because it's purely economic and it's not military anymore most of the time. Is there something uniquely different about this power struggle, this power balancing that perhaps comes from the Enlightenment? Or is it just another way of the old school empires fighting each other kind of thing um I, reshowing itself i think i think it's a bit of both you know like, like throughout history there have been you know power and imba- power, power imbalances and the desire for projecting power and imperial power that that's always been something in in, in history and I'm, I'm sure there's someone who's more qualified to speak about that but in terms of you know the post enlightenment period um there's definitely been a change behind the at least the Western motivations for um, for imperialism. You know, they're, uh, the, the modern Western experience of imperialism is very much informed by um, the Enlightenment, which encouraged the uh, you know the, the proliferation of, of their ideology, um, and and the uh, like I said that that capitalist impetus of acquiring resources and acquiring power. You know, so it's it's it has more specifically attributable um, characteristics because of the Enlightenment in the modern period, which I'm sure just build on top of those, the, the, the longer history of of desiring power, you know? Um, yeah, and, and and that's something you see both, you know, during the colonial period with, you know, the spread of Christian missionaries and the acquisition of uh, and, uh, colonies, and in the modern period with, you know, America invading Iraq and Afghanistan with very ideological motivations you know, behind spreading liberal democracy. Um, and, yeah, so it's, it's I suppose, a bit of both, you know, before the Enlightenment and after the Enlightenment both have their own motivations which have maintained um, in a very harmful way. You know, I, I think I was reading very recently, actually, that um, uh, it's like some American analyst was saying, you know, when America goes abroad and tries to... Um, to you know, slap on democracy in a year or two in another country, then that country has just received the ass end of imperialism. You know, <laughs> it's, it's it's a funny quote, but it's 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 true. You know, yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that'll this will tie in next to our next talking point about neocolonialism whenever we're ready to move on. Yeah, I think we can add there now. Actually, um, we so capitalism encourages imperialism in the form of neocolonialism. So I suppose, what does neocolonialism mean exactly for people who don't know? Well, yeah, so I, I specified in my article, like 
that capitalism encourages imperialism, and then I did another part about how capitalism encourages imperialism as neocolonialism. So it's easy to conceptualize, I suppose, imperialism in, in the colonial form, because imperialism is the exten extension of power, and uh, however may, that might be, political, military, economic, but then colonialism and neocolonialism are um, manifestations of imperialism. So it's easy to conceptualize colonialism, and that's why I gave the example of of Algeria and France and how they came in to acquire resources. But it's often harder to see neocolonialism, and so it's good to talk about that. You know, Kwame Nkrumah, um, he's the uh, Ghanaian revolutionary who um, defined and coined the term neocolonialism. He, he specifically said, you know, neocolonialism is where a country seems to have all the, the trappings of sovereignty. It seems independent. And yet, its economic and political policy is directed from the outside. So, so neocolonialism is is it's the next stage of colonialism, and it's where a country isn't the, you know directly the colony of a European or foreign power, but they're under its influence in an economic or political or military or cultural way, and that's that's neocolonialism, and um, and and that can exist for for so many reasons, but it continues to. Again, capitalism is a big reason for why it continues to exist because it is a form of imperialism. And so today, when we see, when we see, um, you know, the fact that oftentimes Western countries, uh, America, France, the United Kingdom, or or increasingly China, have economic interests in a place like Africa, or maybe South America, or and they are often driven by their interests are often driven by money and resources. They, they, in order to put their capital to the best use and in order to invest their capital and acquire resources, then they're encouraged to exert power over the places where their capital is put to use. So, um, um, so that, for example, you'll see America and its desire to control oil and access to oil in the Middle East resulted in some very harmful Wars. You'll, you'll see China in sub-Saharan Africa, which is and China being the largest trade partner of, of Africa in the modern age, often um, exerts imperial power um, over uh, certain sub-Saharan African countries due to their um, economic interests in the continent. Um, so it's it's something to I suppose differentiate from from the you know, the history of of, uh, of foreign powers um, coming to the global south to. Uh, to exert power, uh, to to exert imperialism for the for that capitalist um, reasoning, it, it it continues to exist in in the neo neocolonial form of imperialism, and I hope that sort of made sense. Yeah, sort of jumbled. No, no, that that's good. I think that's because I think often with these terms it can get confusing for for, for a lot yeah. of people. These these phrases tend to get thrown around a lot, so it's good to kind of just get a definition for them um, and get some context, yeah. basically. But um, no, that makes sense and. It's definitely as relevant to as always, um, you know. Yeah, uh, this, this concept. It's, uh, it's that's right. It's it's important to note that although we're in a post-colonial age for the most part, besides Israel and maybe a few other places, we're not in a post-imperial age. So mm -hmm. formal colonization is mainly ended, but imperialism maintains, and so often that the way it maintains is is through neocolonialism. Mm. We're glad you bring this up um, because 
the I think it's I think it's important uh, to, to to point this out um, that we don't live in some sort of um, progressive uh, global politics, um, and in many ways, I think I'm probably the minority in seeing it this way. Uh, the, the kind of the dynamics we have between powers and um, quote unquote oppressed um, populations is no different really uh, to any other time in history, right? I mean, the UN is a great, uh, you know, smokescreen to say that, you know, we don't have this kind of dog eat dog um, interaction anymore, but it, it's just completely not substantiated, right? I mean, we objectively live in the most violent period in human history. Um, and uh, like this discussion is showing, um, that violence is now not directed physically or militarily, that violence is directed economically. Um, the reason why it's important to point this out is because if we start with a premise, as we do in almost every conversation these days, as quote-unquote minorities, as quote-unquote oppressed people, right? If we start with the assumption that we are you know, the, we're being oppressed against and, you know, it's because they've made a mistake and, um, you know, uh, we just need to explain and then everything will be fine because people will realize that they were wrong and, you know, they'll say sorry and it'll be fine. As opposed, you know, it's like uh, these people have gone off track and we just need to show them that they're wrong. And the question here is this understanding that, well, it was never fair and it's not supposed to be fair. The people who are running x don't intend for it to be fair what has that understanding what does that imply now uh, and what does that mean for the way we approach things um as opposed to the kind of oh but the un's a thing and you know that way of seeing the world uh, which is very popular um especially in young people i mean you, you know i mean it's the, it's the classic like with everything uh, it's just this underlying belief that you know we've we expected it to be any different you know, it's like, oh, the EU's, um, you know, passed a law that legislates um, acceptance of being anti-hijab, like, oh, surprise, surprise, right? Um, et cetera, et cetera. Like, what, uh, you know, what does it mean when we change our understanding? Um, maybe in economic terms. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. I think, I think you're talking question. about, makes sense. about how, a, a bit about the, the idea of more progress and how yes. the myth of it. And, yes. and I, once I, you break that smokescreen, what does it mean for the way you see the world? How does yeah, it change? I, I think since the Enlightenment, there's there's definitely been a very strong idea that you know all of humanity is progressing in morality. You know, we've got, there's, there's this myth of more progress that we're moving towards this end point, and that we're you know consistently improving in terms of our moral and economic and political governance, and that you know it's it's all just getting better, you know, and I think that's a very pervasive idea that, oh, today we're, we're civilized and things are better than before. It's just, it's just a widely believed and accepted idea. And I think what we don't necessarily always realize is that idea is, is just very Eurocentric. You know, it, that idea believes that all of human history up until the Enlightenment was just, you know, stepping stones to get there. And then now the future is the European Western experience for us all to embrace and the more we embrace it, the more we've progressed. And so, so when we as Muslims, for example, see um, you know, the, uh, the, the, uh, the uh, banning of hijab in Europe, and for us, that's so, so clearly not our 
idea, but it is hailed to be so. It is because, and it's because uh, the idea of progress and the idea of modernity is, is so strongly a Eurocentric idea, you know? So it's, it's going to be natural, I think, for any, any God-fearing Muslim who sees the, the many issues in the world today that, that are problematic for us and for what we believe in. It, it's, it's, it's impossible not to, to discount this idea of moral pride, you know? So often, we actually, we look to the past and to the example of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he perfected good character um, and perfected morality. So how are we... It's, it's, it's impossible for us to discount the past and discount history, you know? And it's something that uh, there's a writer called Christopher Latch. He, he says that, you know, you, you know that you have entered like a, a culture of narcissism, you know, and, and in individualism when you de- completely devalue the past, you know? So, um, so yes, uh, I, I think it's, and I think that def- definitely extends on the, in economic terms that, you know, we're supposed to accept that capitalism is the end of history in terms of economics. Here we are, we made it. Let's just stick with this forever. You know, it's so it's it, it definitely extends, I think, in, in economic terms. And, and unfortunately, you know, the rise of China has actually only supported that because China has completely embraced capitalism and is the major competitor to, you know, European American, Euro American capitalism is the main, the main competitor, just its own form of capitalism. So it's again, it, it doesn't really um, help us to dispel the myth of uh, progress in moral terms or economic terms. Yeah. yeah as um, Muslims, the, our, our approach is, is usually very easy. Um, and the reason it is, is because it becomes difficult when you, you get confused between ways of seeing the world, right? When, if, you're, if, you're, if you have this cognitive dissonance, that this, um, this Western machine that I've grown in, um, it's supposed to be good and maybe it's just malfunctioning you know I need to take it to the mechanic and it'll be fine after that if you take that away you fall back on okay then if this isn't the way that the world's going to get better and if this isn't the way to see the world then what is oh I'm a Muslim it's the seerah processor it's the sunnah right it's um, it's our tradition um, and so in many things uh, we find that reform Islamically, is is coming back to the path, right? As opposed to reform in a um, material sense. In a way, um, destroying the past, really. Exactly. It's a it's a way. It's kind of it's it's a circus show. It's kind of who can make the most colourful uh, poster, right? And it's kind of who can invent the font that nobody's seen before. So it's yeah. a way of making things that nobody's seen before. But our reform is this is the hawk because this is objective right because you know the, the the colorful posters come when there's no objectivity so you're just kind of you're starting with something else because you're bored of the last thing when you have an objective path all your reform is is every time you go off you kind of come back you go off you come back uh and so our majedids right our reformers and just a reminder reform is a part of the religion when you see religion not reforming when you see difficult conversations about how islam needs to change not happening that means that there's a problem because um excuse me uh hold on it's stuck there we are uh alia is a big uh, 
you said um, religion and art are similar, right? They're, they're both pure in as long as they're struggling. And as soon as they become established, uh, they die, right? Um, and this is the Islamic concept of ijtihad. This is the idea that um, we're not supposed to be set in stone. We're supposed to be... So you have, sorry to go all the way off the topic, but we have this understanding of objective truth. This is objective truth. This is uh, what we call sharia, uh, right? And then we have fiqh, which is, is the human attempt to access sharia, right? It's not, this is not the objective truth, but this is what we think is as close as we can get to the objective. But we recognize that we are just eternally evolving to try and get closer and closer to this. We're eternally trying to get back to that middle path. And so in economic terms, uh, Zain and perhaps Abir um, is the solution uh, to produce a Islamic manifesto for economics. And that is, that is inspired by this middle path. And that is inspired by the Sirah. Um, and propagating that as a alternative model, or is it something different? It's a good question. Like, I think the easy answer is yes, that should be the aim. But I suppose the difficulty is, in, what does that actually mean? Like, especially in in the context of today, um, you know, we we have we don't really have any examples of like. An Islamic kind of economic system, at least, like attempts are being made, for example, in the finance sector of like there being, you know, uh, halal bonds, uh, halal like mortgage options, things like that, or Islamic, you know, mortgage options, all that kind of stuff. But it it really just seems like those are just kind of the, like the normal uh, versions of those things, just changed slightly. Or reworded slightly. Did you see the was it the ninety ninety five percent halal mortgage, right? Have you seen that one? No, I haven't. Ninety five percent halal, and then there's a five percent left. <laughs> you may as well just get a normal mortgage then, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a difficult yeah. thing. Yeah, it's like uh, you know, Zen's the one who 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 has studied economics. So he probably has a better idea, but he's for me anyways as a kind of a layman. I can't even imagine really what an Islamic system, that's especially one that's all encompassing. In this, what mm -hmm. what that would entail? Mm -hmm. No, I, I think I, I really agree with, with what Abir said. You know, like obviously the easy answer is yes. It'd, it'd be nice to have a, an Islamic economic system. Um, but I don't know. I don't think it'd be. I think I think it's really sort of something that's very tied into politics. That you know, so we'd need Muslim politics to really progress before we can start thinking about that. Or maybe yeah. I'm wrong. Maybe yeah. maybe the economics maybe the economics comes first. You know, like, well, what, there's so many components toward for uh, so many pro so much progress that Muslims need to make in so many areas. Whether it be in our cultural integration and cultural produce, mm. whether talking about you know the um, proliferation of healthier and uh, uh, more moral politics in our lands. And again, then the talking about which comes first and or do they come together? You know, like you can't have healthy politics until you have a healthy Muslim culture or you don't have can't have healthy economics until you have the political culture that allows it. You know, so I don't, I don't know what comes first, but I, I think the, it's like holistic, these, exactly. these things rely on each other, right? Um, it's, it's, a, it's a system. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think if we if we we're doing it again, right, if we approach this yeah. with a Western way of looking at things, that's right. Uh, yeah. A deconstructed kind of way of looking at things that there's so many different aspects that we need to achieve. 
it's kind of a fallacy because the way that the, the Western philosophy achieves these things is it kind of props these things up individually, right? So that's the way that, you know, we deconstruct everything and everything's on its own. Exactly. But the way our tradition does things is one thing grows from another and this thing relies on this and this thing flourishes from this. So in reality, when you have every professional doing their job, you know, Zane's doing his economics, perhaps I'm doing my architecture, Ariel's doing his engineering, in an inherently um, sincere way to our tradition, they, they they help each other, right? Um, like uh, my black, uh, I'll get back to where I was going. But yeah, you've just got the first half I of think, what I was I, I, I think I know where you're going is that, you know, like it's almost, we don't need to worry too much about creating a, a specific sort of system rather than just doing things correctly and according to Sharia and that yeah. system will, oh, will yeah. that, that system will emerge. You know, we exactly. like, there, there isn't like an Islamic system. Uh, sorry, an, an, an economic system in the Quran so that you're going to find a big list of rules. This is what you do, but there are principles. And once we're following the principles and growing a healthy society, then it's just natural that healthy economic and political systems will emerge once we're you know correctly observing Quran and Sunnah and our, our moral and virtue, uh, our morals and our virtues. So, the, the anxiety, <laughs> exactly. The, the anxiety we have um, in kind of we need to do all these things uh, is a secular anxiety because the secular mind is I need to invent this. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I need to invent this because nothing, yeah. everything is new. We don't believe that. We believe that there is a right way of doing things objectively. I need to get to this, not invent it. I need to get to it. It's already exactly. there. Exactly. Yeah. And so every step that I take in a good direction, which I can measure in my own means means that I'm getting closer to this. Like we said, we're getting closer to the path. We're not seeking a new crazy thing. There mm -hmm. is a, it's like Plato's, um, I don't know if you guys are fans of Plato. Plato has um, the word of forms, right? Forms is yeah. kind of, yeah, exactly. So you have like a glass. There is a perfect glass in Plato's world. An ideal. Yeah, this is just a, a manifestation of that perfect model. This is one of the examples of it. And every step you take towards that, there is a perfect model. That's the point. There is a perfect exactly. model, right? Uh, we don't need to invent some crazy thing. Um, That's right. That's so right. every step we take in a good direction will take us there. You know, every time we make that spear, like it, it, it all goes together. Um, I don't know if you guys remember that thread uh, that I hosted, right? About the, the butterfly effect. Yes, um, yeah. Everyone doing their part. Every And, and it does, because you, you can't believe in objective truth without believing this, right? Um yeah, I don't know. Best way no, to I, something, I, isn't it? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think that's a, a very um, it's it's a really manageable way of thinking about things. You know, instead of worrying how are we going to establish any sort of Islamic economic system that encourages equity, you want just you know take steps and do our part. You know, um, and in terms of encouraging good, healthy trends in yeah. economics, you know, so or and in other spheres, you know. Like even like for example the cultural sphere something like say Earth World, which everyone loves talking about you know that that's a manifestation of someone going out there and thinking look I want to create a, a program that makes Islam attractive and encourage and gives that and and it's it's a, a good healthy Islamic output and he, he, whoever that person was he made that show and boom it's a step in the right direction you know and and it's it's touching a lot of hearts you know it's it's just you know making that um making that move flapping those butterfly wings. <laughs> and but, and yeah. we're seeing as well, even um, without the Islamic context, that when a system is clearly flawed and not for the benefit of the majority of people, uh, that frustration can lead to someone creating something that is a better alternative. Like for example, Bitcoin. Bitcoin was essentially born because of not to not 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 that I'm promoting Bitcoin, 
or anything. <laughs> but it was <laughs> born. <laughs> use use my affiliate link. It'll be in. The <laughs> but uh, it was born essentially because of the issue of inflation and, of course, uh, the massive recession. You know, particularly the two thousand eight crash, which, you know. It had no no impact essentially on the majority of the banks and the bankers who were you know, responsible for it, but it bankrupted people, ruined, ruined people's lives, and uh, it's taken like a decade for the economy to even recover really from it. And Bitcoin was essentially born out of the idea of uh, this gives control to the average consumer. It's not something that is going to you know, the value can't be, uh, I suppose, manipulated by inflation due to just pumping like like you print money, to, which causes inflation. Uh, and it was born born from that kind of idea, basically, of having something like gold, essentially like a digital gold. Um, and since then, we've seen that field, you know, kind of cryptocurrencies and that kind of digital like uh, finance area explode. And it's still in yeah. its infancy, but there's a lot of interesting ideas being developed um, within that space that could, you know, it's too early to tell exactly what the impact will be, um, especially on a finance or economic level. Uh, level but it could have implications are huge like there's some like yeah, projects it's that guess. yeah there's some projects that for example for example are aiming uh particularly and being adopted like in africa for example or in some more you know developing countries um and it was was it what country was it i think it was venice no it wasn't venezuela it was what another uruguay paraguay one of those uh i, I have to google it now because i forget but they, it was a, they, they adopted they bitcoin, adopted bitcoin. Uh, yeah, it was adopted as national currency, uh, basically, by some Latin nation, and I've completely forgotten. El Salvador. It was El Salvador. That's who. El Salvador. Um, and yeah, it's it's just a prime. You know, I often look at that as like you know, you can have your issues with the with the crypto space. It certainly isn't perfect, but at least this is something different that's trying to deal with an existing problem. Uh, the problem of inflation, the problem of market instability, and the problem that ultimately it's not this what this market that's been created. It is not to benefit you as the average consumer. It's to benefit the hedge funds and the people in the know, you know, Wall Street and so on. Um, so yeah, taking kind of you know, as you guys have both said, small steps, creating alternatives, uh, which we are starting to see now, you know, with in in, in the Muslim community. Uh, both culturally and even kind of practically in, in things like kind of the finance area and so on and investing. Um, that, that should, inshallah, lead us towards that right direction, I think. And I think that's that, that's a lot better than just kind of saying uh, we need to change everything and then not actually being able to do it because changing everything yeah. is just impossible to do that all at once. Uh, just a heads up, the, the over here, it's a month over time, so I'd appreciate um, if we jump off, uh, inshallah, soon. Um, yeah. But we, so we've got like um, we've got three things here, right? We've got uh, capitalism as a philosophy. We've got uh, quote unquote, I'll say communism as a philosophy, uh, and then we're proposing something. Capitalism um, as an idea. It says you know um, we keep striving more and more and more, and just we keep going exponentially towards our goals. And in reaction to it, you have uh, like we might said at the start, um, you know, often young people uh, who run towards a a framework that just kind of gobbles everything up and wants to fix everything all at once, which is socialism. I mean, I'm not a fan of socialism, but I'll just say it straight up. Like, it's this utopian view 
that we have like any intervention we make in the world has to be towards this perfect fix right that like uh like you know the communists i mean they thought they were making heaven on earth essentially um socialism that is the idea it's utopia and so there is no space for disagreement or dissent it's kind of this way is the perfect way do not disagree with me capitalism is kind of the opposite it's kind of now what islam uh, and islamic tradition says is that yes there is a perfect way to live like we said and there is a perfect model there is a perfect form but uh, that is like the sharia like the the law the divine law as god intends it and then the role of the human is to develop fiqh like islamic jurisprudence islamic law which is in, intending to get as close as possible to this as possible uh, as it can but it's not saying like a communist that i have the sharia like here and you must follow me and if you don't follow me you are going against god's law because that's what extremists do so you have terrorism and communism in the same philosophy in that way right it's kind of this is the perfect way do not disagree with me what a traditional islamic law says and this is interesting and this is why people get confused about this because they come at this from a western way of looking at things islamic law says you have this opinion i have this opinion they're different opinions for the same question and they're both correct mm-hmm. right it doesn't say this is the objectively correct one this is the wrong one because it recognizes that they're both attempts to reach this they are not this right mm-hmm. as opposed to say if you disagree with this one you're uh, you're you know you're not right that's extremism the the, the the authentic way is to say this is the best i've done this is what i've intended for god everything else any mistakes are from myself anything good is from god literally because anything good is from god's system that's literally what it means right and so what we need to i guess uh, put forward in anything is just little attempts to get closer to that truth and what's empowering about that is everybody works towards it you don't need this overarching system because like we said the overarching system is inherently oppressive it, it, it works from 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 people like us and, and you have this kind of grassroots movement that becomes a butterfly effect um to kind of use the cliche that i used before <laughs> yeah Inshallah. it's uh it's honestly something that kind of i think it should inf- instill hope the fact that we're, we're through kind of collaboration um and just small efforts that we can make something better inshallah i think that is it's it's for me anyway it feels very hopeful that we have that to hold on to as muslims um, yeah that's right yeah no it's 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 interesting you mentioned that guys because you know and it's it's one of the reasons that i'm writing this article about capitalism is that you know so often that you see you know, young people so ambitious in terms of dunya in terms of the acquisition of wealth mm. you know they want to be like they they admire elon musk or bill gates or whoever else because you know these are people who've mastered the economic system they've reached the top um and and and, that, and why that's so problematic is just like you guys are saying, we need people to be ambitious in their Islam and making efforts in their Islam and, and trying to achieve, you know, big things or small things for for uh, for the betterment of Muslims. You know, mm-hmm. that's really where we want to be directing ourselves. And 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 that's that's the those are those actions that you would take and those virtues that you would sort of um, that you would hold are a natural result of admiring someone like the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and not. Elon Musk, you know, it's, it's just about priorities as well, you know, and, and then that's, yeah. And, and that's, you can see why it's like you, we were talking earlier about the pervasiveness of capitalism as, as an ideology and how that 
distract us away from what we should be doing. You know, it's that 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 materialism and that attachment to dunya and that distraction, that 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 trap. I think was what Abir said earlier. So um, yes, well, it's 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 good to be acknowledging both what we the the problem, um, you know, this pervasive capitalism, and then the solution. You know, adherence to Islam, admiration, and following Sunnah of the Prophet Absolutely, yeah, and I think that's a really, really nice note to end it on. Um, it's honestly, this is such a big topic, and I know we didn't even hit every every uh, aspect of, of the article. Uh, we may do a part two of this uh, to, to discuss it uh, further. Um, I'm just conscious of time, and it is Maghrib now as well. Yeah, but just to, just to summarize uh, for anyone who's listening, just know that anything that you do in emulation or service of the Prophet Prophet um, the best of creation, Sallallahu is a service to his Ummah, is a service to your fellow Muslims, um, and is um, furthering kind of the the deen in this dunya and in your afterlife. Like nothing is insignificant, right? Um, and so make an effort uh, to, to work from an Islamic motivation, right, and not from a you know um, monetary motivation or from a uh, framework motivation. Do it for for the process of nation. Yes, that's very 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 uh, very nice message to end it on. I appreciate you guys uh, donating your time and uh, yeah, uh, hopefully for all of you listening or watching, this is beneficial and uh, inshallah we'll see you on the next one. Assalamu alaikum. Waalaikum salam. The Lord is